Thanks, Theresa, for um, talking about the Beijing Consensus. It provides a nice segue into my next my presentation on China's model uh, for development. So um, I'm sort of taking a more of a develop, development studies slash political science uh, approach here. So. There is um, a lot of literature talking about the failure of the development policies to bring about growth and equity to many developing countries uh, post-World War II. And many are disillusioned um, with not only development policies, but also with related institutions. As we enter into the second decade of the tw 21st century, we see a shift in um, development discussions, in development paradigm. And this is paired with China's remarkable growth with relative social stability. And China's experience has generated a lot of excitement and discussion for many developing countries. So the gulf between um, what Paul has kind of mentioned, the Keynesian approach and the Washington consensus, has dominated much of the development field from the 1980s to maybe the start of the 21st century. Consequently, the development field over the same period has been somewhat consumed by market uh, versus state debate. And I think much of that debate is starting to recede as we see China continue to grow um, in the way that it has um, over the last 30 years. So today, for me, the presentation is to explore um, whether China's development experience um, can inform new development practices or at least new development thinking. So there is um, much debate as to what constitutes a China model or China's model of development. And um, as Rizzo has mentioned, there is often conflation between the Beijing consensus and that of the China model. So let me just be clear that I, here I am saying the China model is not the Beijing consensus. And I think um, Reza has pointed out why that is the case. But there are different conceptions um, of a China model. But I think the clearest thus far in the literature is particularly um, within the political science field. And um, Bruce Dixon, I use his work and build upon it. He, um, he sees that there are three interrelated components of what constitutes a development model uh, or China's development model. So the first one is um, advocating for national champions. I'll go into these a little bit more um, in a few seconds. The second he talks about is encouraging the growth of the middle class. And the third is devoting more resources to the provision of public goods. On the first goal of supporting national champions, this was clearly enunciated in the 15th uh, Chinese Communist Party Congress, and it has been reiterated um, in subsequent policies. Although China has actively sought to um, create globally competitive firms, um, create uh, globally competitive brands and technology, Leading observers of China have argued that China's um, large firms and brands that it's promoting has largely failed to date. It has failed to produce leading technologies, and the brands are um, nowhere near as competitive as other multinationals that are currently out there. And this is due to a number of factors, um, both external and internal. External could be um, the global business structure, 
internal could be that related to the Chinese bureaucracy or the failures of Chinese bureaucracy. On the second point um, of Dixon's points, the state has encouraged the growth of the middle class. The Chinese state has shown it is less committed um, to keeping wages low than previously. Um, the, state's, uh, the state is actively leading um, labor wage bargaining uh, process, and this is particularly evident between 2001 and 2006, where the state was quite active in that particular process. And it demonstrates that this, this, the Chinese state is seeking to respond to social changes or preempting potential social disasters. So the state is less committed to keeping wages low than previously, and this is intricately tied to um, the CCP or the Chinese Communist Party pursuit and desire to um, legitimize its rule. The third piece of Dixon's model is um, the Chinese state provision of public goods. And again, this is um, uh, a re-emphasis on the states maintaining its power, um, its legitimacy, and preempt any demands for political change. And key figures in the recent draft budget for China indicates that the Chinese state is making significant um, investment into social provision or social services. So for example, um, it is drafting 130 billion RMB for housing, 441 billion for social security, 296 billion RMB for education, which is an increase by 16%. So the investment that the Chinese state is seeking to put into social services is dramatic. There are other aspects of um, China's model that is out there, um, so I just briefly list here. Um, for example, Zhou uh, uh, comments on the state's control of various aspects from the economy to the political realm to the social realm. So the CCP's hold on power is particularly important. Pan Wei, um, noted uh, Beijing professor, Be Beijing University professor, argues that the China model really is, a, is more to do with the unique organization of China's society, politics and economy. Barry Norton, however, says there, aren't, there isn't a model per se. It's, he offers six conjecture, conjectures in his particular article. And there are those who say that there is no model whatsoever, whatsoever because of China's unique um, development experience uh, you know, from socialism to um, state-controlled capitalism. So um, there are those who just say there is, there is no model. But um, it's based on um, what the China's experience can be summed up in uh, following pragmatic policies, or it's a process of trial and error, or it's a process of selective learning. But none of these items really tell us about the development experience or um, the process in which China has developed. So where do we go from those three points that, um, that I've put up there? Well, I think there are key... Um, there are key elements in China's development experience, particularly in the early stages, so the late 1970s to, say, the early or mid-1980s, that have been overlooked in the literature, particularly within political science and in the development studies literature. And these early experiences can perhaps inform a new learning paradigm. 
So what are these considerations? Well, um, as Martin has mentioned, the early stages of China's development saw a dramatic decrease um, in poverty. Um, Two-thirds of poverty reduction, um, measured by a dollar a day, um, occurred largely in the, say, early 1980s to the mid-1980s. And what were the drivers of this um, impressive achievements in poverty reduction? Well, there is evidence to suggest um, that growth in China's agricultural sector was an important driver in poverty reduction. So the move from household responsibility system in the early 1980s saw not only an um, increase in grain production by about 20%, which is quite significant, but it also had a tremendous impact on poverty reduction. Following the initial success at the rural level, further measures were taken um, by were taken, including investments in, um, you know, improved seed varieties um, or improved crops, which then um, related to improved uh, crop production, and it also meant um, improving food security and agricultural growth overall. So there was investment um, in agricultural re research and local experiments at the very um, local level. Local experiments, local research, guided development policy. And what this meant was there was a, there was a le level of heterogeneity in China's development process. And um, one of the key sort of um, indication of this willingness to experiment and willingness to be guided by local um, experiments was the China Re Rural Development Research Group, which was established in um, 1980. And this played a critical part in providing information and recommendation to China's leadership with regards to rural reforms. So the involvement of the local state um, with gave um, you know, policymakers, gave farmers room to experiment. And this is a key factor in China's development and its subsequent ex, uh, successes. This um, has led to you know, various models that, are, that have come out of China, for example, not, not necessarily related to agriculture, but in, in general um, development. So there's the Wenzhou model, there's the Chongqing model, whether that's still, um, that, that's open to question. Um, there's a, so there's Wenzhou model, Chongqing model, there's a Guangdong model. So this all indicates that there is room to experiment at the local level, and the local state really matters. Um, it's a key uh, stakeholder in um, success of development. And this local experimentation um, is now evident in social development. So um, with greater attention now uh, on the provision of public welfare and social services, both central and local states have demonstrated various degrees or various degrees of willingness to um, either provide those social services directly or through an intermediary. So the intermediary could be um, non-governmental organizations or community, community development groups. So um, local states, particularly, say, in um, Guangdong, in Shanghai, in and also Yunnan, are particularly um, 
uh, active in engaging with these local experiments to deliver social services. So here I mentioned Shanghai as one example where the Shanghai municipal authorities are um, looking at ways to fund the delivery of social services. So NGOs are, uh, have become uh, contractors for the municipal authorities. How do we pay um, these social delivery? Uh, is it through, say, generation of revenues through uh, selling lottery tickets? Is it through state subsidies? Is it through a mixed method approach? So the Shanghai Municipal Authority is engaging in that particular process right now. And it is seeking ways to fund these social service delivery in the most effective and efficient way. Whether these experiments would take on a more national um, uh, approach is open to question. So that social experimentation occurs not only in Shanghai, but also in Yunnan, um, to a less extent, Beijing. So um, a combination of past and present experiences and lessons thus constitute a Chinese model of development. And I think we can distill six general elements of China's model of development that may guide new thinking um, with regards to development practices. So the first one is implement, uh, implement agricultural reforms to kickstart poverty reduction that we saw in the early 1980s um, in China. The num number two is the willingness to experiment and conduct research to inform policy. And through that, um, involving local um, authorities, local officials. The third is support for national champions. And what we've seen each in China is um, great investments, uh, great amounts of investment into developing Chinese, globally competitive Chinese brands. Whether that's successful or not is another debate. Um, the active support um, for the middle class. Number five is the focus on the delivery of social goods. And number six is um, really, in all of this, you can probably say the role of the state is absolutely critical to um, China's model of development. But clearly, there are limitations with any model. And um, so what are these limitations? Well, um, as we've heard, there's increasing rates of inequality across China between urban and rural areas, and this is a marked feature of China's development. And this can be measured um, in, say, the Gini coefficient or um, the Human Development Index. So the regional variation um, is a result of various factors, including preferential policies aimed at the urban coastal areas, um, or the level of foreign direct investment, um, amongst other factors. So such variations across, um, across China has led to creating opportunities of inequality. So there's differences in, um, in terms of access to education, access to healthcare, etc. So while the Chinese state is taking measures um, by investing in the provision of social services, and um, as we are seeing right now, Chinese state is making huge investment in a variety of different uh, social services, education, social security, etc. Um, another major concern um, is how the Chinese state has practiced development within its own borders. And this how has come under um, increasing 
criticism, particularly with reference if we consider the minority areas of China, so in the Western regions of China. The implementation of the Western Development Strategy um, in 2000 was an attempt to bring greater prosperity um, to ethnic minorities and ethnic minority areas. And this involved signif significant transfer of resources from east to west. Um, and also there was huge amounts of investment in um, inf large infrastructural projects. But the transfer of resources also included the transfer of, um, of people. So what we saw was migration of Han Chinese into, um, into these western regions. And for the most part, the beneficiaries of these development policies were not ethnic minorities uh, of the region, but Han Chinese, so those who migrated um, into the Western regions. And continuing um, in migrations of Hans, so I'm just, I'm just going to take Xinjiang, for example. So continuing in migration of Hans into Xinjiang has altered the demographics of the region where um, Uyghurs were once accounted for 83% of Xinjiang's population, that was in 1955, they are now at 45%. Um, so Uyghurs are now minorities in their own regions. Um, so what we see, therefore, is um, continuing migration of Hans into, into Xinjiang has impacted the employment opportunities of Uyghurs, discrimination in the labor market, has led to marginalization um, in employment opportunities for Uyghurs. And subsequently, Uyghurs face higher incidences of poverty than, say, Huns in, in the region. Economic and cultural marginalization um, of Uyghurs in their own region has created outbreaks of discontent, um, and that we saw in 2008, 2009, with increasing um, so despite the strong state control of religion um, across China, there is now increasing um, um, numbers of people, particularly in Xinjiang, self-identifying as, um, as Muslims. And this is, uh, this is in one way a resistance to the hegemony of the Chinese state, dominated by the Han majority. So while the Chinese state may have procedural policies um, in addressing the needs of ethnic minorities, the actual implementation is, is quite different from the conception of these policies. So the management of Chinese ethnic minorities exposes the shortcomings of the Chinese development model. The transfer of resources, including the migration of um, Han Chinese into areas with significant ethnic minorities, fail to deliver what, um, what we can argue is inclusive growth. And this is also reflected not just with ethnic minorities, but also uh, with regards to, say, um, other groups, including rural to urban labor migrants in urban China itself. So despite all of these um, caveats or, or criticisms of what the China model is or, um, and some of the failures, the Chinese model of development can guide and inform new um, thinking with regards to development practices. Um, we can distill six general lessons. Um, again, I, I reiterate, so the implementation of agricultural reforms to kickstart poverty reduction, um, 
the willingness to experiment, so using local, um, regional or local uh, experiments or local research is particularly important to inform policy. Um, support for national champions, number four, support for middle class, delivery of social goods and the role of the state in the process. So, but as we noted above, China's model is significantly hampered by several limitations and any attempt to replicate, um, I guess, would be unadvisable. Um, the growing inequality, not only in terms of income, but also other factors measured by the Human Development Index is particularly worrisome. And this is a direct outcome, I would say, of China's economic development. The strength of the state has certainly helped China's development, but it has also led to other tensions, um, as we see between ethnic minorities and the ethnic majority, between um, rural and urban um, migrants, uh, rural and urban uh, citizens. Nonetheless, what China's development um, has taught us is the need to consider local and regional characteristics. The importance of locally derived knowledge was instrumental in the initial stages of China's reform and poverty reduction. There is a need to engage with development research with relation to China because there is, there is that thirst for understanding China's development trajectory and also because of the increasing role of China um, as a development actor, as a, as a donor um, in developing countries. So future development policies and new development practices will engage with not only the successes of China's development, but also its limitations and its failures. And this is, this is necessary to avoid the disappointments and failures um, that may likely to ensue if we don't. Thank you.